0: Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you will, uh, grab your Bibles, if you've got them, or your phone, or your iPad, or whatever you've brought, um, and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians um, in the New Testament there. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church, um, and we're gonna be looking at just a few of the passages here uh, this morning. See us students, fifth and sixth grade. Have a great time. Bye now. Um, and we are... Uh, we finished up our doctrine series, so we looked at we spent 13 weeks looking at core doctrines of the Christian faith, which was uh, which was a lot of fun. And so we've got two weeks here between uh, now and the Advent season, which is crazy. Yesterday, my family and I put up our Christmas tree. Some of you look at me weird like that's too early. We just did it. We went for it. We're ready for a new season, so we went for it. So, But I can't believe we're just a couple weeks away from the Advent season. So we've got two weeks, two Sundays in between here, and I wanted us to look at something that is going to be very challenging for us. Um, We were looking at for 13 weeks just Core identity, um, gospel-rooted truths, and all of these things about doctrine. And so for these next couple of weeks, what I want us to do in light of all that stuff, in light of the fact that Jesus has come, in light of the fact that he is our Savior, that he has resurrected, that we are now in the kingdom of heaven, uh, in the kingdom of God as God's children, what now? What do we do about that? So what, basically? So I want to take a couple of weeks And say, how does the Bible explain to us and encourage us and even challenge us to live out this faith uh, that is now ours because of Christ and his resurrection? And the Apostle Paul um, gives us a great analogy. And it's uh, this idea of running the race to win. Running the race set before us to win. And so we're going to answer some questions. Well, what is this race we're on? What is the prize? How do we win it? How are we supposed to run? Paul addresses all of these things in this wonderful analogy that is sort of boots on the ground, very meaningful of what we are to do now as believers. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. I'm going to read it and we are going to jump in um, this morning. Paul says this to us as Christians. This is written to Christians. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. We could stop right there. We could preach 10 weeks on that. I mean, let that settle in. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may win? And everyone who competes in these games exercises control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and I make it a slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I may I myself should be disqualified." So Paul is writing these words, he's giving this analogy to this church, this group of believers, uh, probably about the size of this room right here, and he's uh, writing this letter, and it's, it's read by these church leaders, and he's making this analogy of the Olympic Games, right? He's using this analogy of Uh, These games that were played every four years, and everyone knew what they were, everyone knew what they were about, everyone uh, had an understanding of all the activities that were done, and uh, these games were global in their renown, just like they are today. They were in Paul's time, and so he's making a reference, he's making an analogy of the Christian life with these, uh, these games that everyone looked forward to that people from all over the known world would come to watch and see these incredible athletes participate in, just like all of us. I mean, we just had a Olympic Games canceled, right? So it was big news. It hasn't happened, I don't, maybe only one other time in the Olympic history. But even today, like, the world tunes in to watch it. It was the same in Paul's time. And so he doesn't even really need to explain what these games are. He just refers to them as the games, because they they began, um, they began in seven seventy six BC, the Olympic Games, and they continued every four years without exception, uh, uh, uninterrupted until AD three ninety three. Emperor Theodosius actually uh, suppressed the games, but for one thousand one hundred and sixty nine years, the Olympic Games happened on a regular basis every four years. The world knew about these. Everyone knew about them. And so Paul did not have to explain the games. Everyone was aware of them just the same way we are aware of them today. Um, and so this is what Paul is doing. Jesus did this all the time. So what Paul is doing by by preaching to this church, writing this letter to this church, is he's taking these games, just like Jesus did with almost everything in life, and he says, I want you to see these games. I want you to see these things that all of us look forward to and watch and hear about and keep track of uh, with a whole different lens. I want you to see them in relation to God. I want you to see these games in relation to your walk and race with God that he has put you on as a believer. Paul was so saturated with Christ. Paul was so saturated with who God was, how God has saved him. He was so saturated with the gospel as the reality in his life, the lens by which he saw everything, that he could not see anything without seeing it in relation to and in light of the gospel. That's how he saw life. Uh, And he related everything to it. Uh, He relates eternity to it. He relates the great issues of the Christian life to it. He saw everything as relating to the gospel, a gospel lens, if you will, through life. Um, So what Paul does does here is he takes these games, these famous games, that this church would have been maybe um, knowing is coming up and being very excited about. They were all talking about them. And Paul says, I want you to transpose these games into a different key, so to speak. Any musicians out there, transpose music? Transposing music is, yes, Zach, thank you. Appreciate you. You and me, bro, right here. Just you and I talking. We've already talked about this, but we can do it again. Transposing music is, you take it, Zach, correct, well, don't correct me right now, but later, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, You take music and you make it into a whole different key. So you take the notes and you change them into a different key to sing them in a different key so that that has a different sound to it. So it's maybe singable to other people that it maybe wasn't way up here. So you transpose it and you make it lower or vice versa. It goes something like that. That's the general idea to a non-musical person, right? And so Paul is saying, I want you to take the things in life that are happening to you that you see, that you experience, and I want you to transpose them in reference to the gospel, in reference to your life as a Christian, in reference, transpose them so that you see everything that's happening to you in line with who God is, how he's made you, and where he's called you. He wants every Christian to see everything that's happening in our lives in relationship to our identity as believers in Christ. And he's doing that with these games. So these games are played out at this level of reality for Paul. So he's saying they run at this level, they box at this level, they, these athletes train at this level, they, they practice at this level, these athletes deny their bodies at this level, they, they go to extreme lengths at this level, they set their sights on the gold and to achieve the prize and the crown and the applause of their country at this level. And Paul says, I want you to see all of that at a different level. I want you to transpose the temporary struggles and triumphs of the Olympic Games and every reality of your life at the spiritual level of life and eternity in your relationship with God. Um, The same is true for us. Whether there's a global pandemic happening, whether you have a job change, whether you're facing struggles as a parent, whether you're facing the realities of whatever is in front of you, whether you're really excited about this thing coming up. Paul, in the same way, for the Christian, wants us to see all of these things that we face that are in our reality in our everyday. He wants us to transpose them and see them through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of who we are as Christians and the responsibilities that God has called us into and onward for. So when you see athletes run, Paul says, I want you to see another kind of running. When you see them box and train, I want you to see another kind of boxing. When you see them denying themselves, I want you to see a different kind of denial. Uh, When you see them smiling with a gold medal around their neck and their national anthem playing as proud citizens of that country, I want you to see and hear another song being played. I want it to be but a shadow of your reality in Christ and the kingdom and that which we are caught up in. That's what Paul is trying to do in this text for the Corinthians. Um, And that's what I want to do with us this morning as we examine our lives. I want us to transpose everything we see and hear in our lives in a different key, if you will. Paul Paul challenges us to do this. So every time we turn on the news, Every time we pull up our news feed on our phone, every time we pop Netflix on, um, I want us to think about it differently. Every time we sit down with our spouse to have a conversation, every time we have to discipline our children, every time we have to celebrate with our children, every time we go hang out with friends, I want us to think about it and see it differently, because Paul wants us to see it and think about it differently, because we are different, we are not the same. We are to look at our world around us in our lives in a different reality. And like Paul, we are to see it through a lens that is different. Um, Now, here's where Paul's going. So Paul, in this text, uh, these, these games that they're meant to be seen, they're meant to be heard by Christians... As this impulse and Paul's drawing these parallels that we are to see them and we likewise are to fight the fight of faith and run the race of life with nothing less than Olympic passion and perseverance. That's sort of the analogy he's drawing here. These Olympic athletes, he's saying your Christian life that you're living now, we are to live it with this level of passion and obedience and self-denial and training that this is the way we are to see and live our Christian lives with this level of intensity. When we look at Olympic athletes, we're blown away by the lengths that they go to win this prize that's out in front of them. I mean, their entire lives are dedicated to it. Paul says, this is the way we are called to live as believers in that very same way. So we're gonna take a couple weeks and we're gonna look at this, these set of verses, and there's at least two important things that we're gonna look at that we're gonna draw our attention to. First, what is the prize? What is the crown? What is the finish? What is the triumph? What is that? What's at stake in the race of the Christian life that the Apostle Paul is telling us? What are we to run and fight for? Why are we doing this? Why did you show up here this morning? Why not just go to brunch? Right? Why serve in a church? Why give money to a church? Why give your time and resources and energy to a group of people for the glory of God? Why not just go to brunch? Why do we fight the fight of faith together? Second thing, what we want to look at is um, the running itself. How do we run? Um, what is it to exer- what What does it mean to exercise self control? How are we to buffet our bodies and make them our slaves, like these words that Paul uses? And here's another question that I want to ask ourselves. This is going to be next week. How do we do that if we're weak and beat up and broken? How do we do that if we're facing physical illness? How do we do that if we physically, we don't physically feel like an Olympic athlete, but how does our faith root us in such a way that we could say all these things with an Olympic-like passion? How do we fight like an Olympian, so to speak, in our lives? That's next week. So today, one question. What is at stake in the race? What is Paul telling us? What is the prize and what is the crown? Paul gives us the answer to the question in four different ways in four different verses. Two of them, he talks about what's at stake when he runs his own race that God has set him on. And two of them, he talks about what's at stake in the way that the Corinthians, those church members, run the race. It's the same thing for both, but he gets at them in a little different way. But what's at stake for both is the prize. And he uses himself as the first example, and then he calls us as believers to join him in on this race. He said, we're running the sacred race together. So Paul says, we're in this race together. I'm in it with you. First, verse 23. Verse 23. Uh, in this section of Scripture, as we just to kind of back you into it a little bit. He just got done describing the fact that he is willing to become all things to all people. So right before this, he says, to a Jew, I become like a Jew. To the Gentile, I become like a gentle. To the slave, I become like a slave. To the free man, I become like a free man. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. He's saying, I will go into any situation to preach and proclaim and display and demonstrate the good news of the gospel. So he's just got done saying all of this. And then he sums up this passion for all people and for the gospel to move forth in verse 23, our beginning verse. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So Paul says, I become all things to all people. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may partake in the gospel. Isn't that interesting? That's an interesting way of putting it. Um, so that's what's at stake that's the prize that I might partake in what the gospel promises to be a partaker in the gospel so what is the gospel promise what is he talking about here what does it mean to share in the gospel or to partake in the gospel Romans 1:16, Paul tells us in another letter he writes He says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So Paul says, I live for the sake of the gospel, I live my life for the sake of the gospel, I preach it, I will die for it, Um, I will do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that as many will as possible will be saved. And so I will be saved. He's saying that's what it means to participate in the gospel, to be a sharer in the gospel. To to participate, it means that we're saved. It's our salvation. We participate now in the gospel. That's our salvation. So Paul says the race that we're running to participate in the gospel, what's at stake is our very souls, our salvation. He said the same thing to Timothy. Timothy. In 1st Timothy, he's, he's, he says take heed to yourself, 1st Timothy 4:16, and to your teaching. Hold fast to that. For so by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. You will save yourself and your hearers when you live for the gospel. Why is that? God has called Paul, if you remember, to serve the gospel. And whether he does or not is evidence of his relationship to Christ. God saved Paul for a reason. God saved all of us for a reason. So the meaning of Paul's life, remember, if, you, uh, if you've read Acts, Christ appears to him on that Damascus road. Uh, Jesus showed him how much he would suffer. He, like, told him before it all happened. He appoints Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles, that Paul's ministry would be uh, a ministry to the Gentiles. And he says, the meaning of your relationship, the relationship to me, is that you live for this gospel. It's a part of you. Now, if Paul said this after that moment, or maybe even six months later, after all the sufferings that he went through after all that he experienced, you know, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this life of service. Um, I've had enough of following through with this path of obedience. I've had enough of this heavenly call. Um, I'm just, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, He could have even said, you know, I just want to kind of hang on to my heavenly call one day when I meet him in glory, but right now, forget it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to listen to God. I don't want to obey what He says. I don't want to follow where He calls me. I don't want to go on a mission that He has called me for, for His namesake, for the gospel. I've had enough. I'll hang on to the forgiveness of sins one day, maybe, uh, but I'm finished doing anything God says. I don't want to do that. If that were to have happened, uh, He could not say that He shared in the gospel, He would be lost. He says it a different way in the passage that we read. He says he would be disqualified. Disqualified. Right? That's the second thing that we're going to talk about. It's like he's equating it to these games. It's like a sprinter or an Olympian that says, you know what? I'm not going to do anything that they, that they tell me to do. I'm going to try to figure out a way to get the medal in my own way, in my own plan, in my own path. So I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cut a corner. I'm going to take steroids, and I'm going to bypass all that was was expected of me to try to get ahead. I'm going to do it my own way. They get disqualified. Um, so that's what Paul says in verse 27. Which is the second way he describes what is at stake, how important this is. He says, I buffet my body, I make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Disqualified from what? What is he talking about? Remember this verse from sharing in the gospel. These are huge stakes. Paul will actually warn the Corinthians in the next chapter who were were so proud and so self-assured that God owed them something. That, you know, just because they came to church... Uh, they were guaranteed their salvation, thinking that, oh, if I just pass through the waters of baptism, that means I'm saved by, uh, by doing all these things, right? And he says this to them in the very next chapter, 1 Corinthians ten twelve. lest anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, Paul applies this to himself. He said, if I don't take heed... If I give way and if I continue to fall to my sinful impulses of my flesh, I could find myself on the slippery slope of disobedience away from Christ. And I could get to the end of my life and hear the judge of the race say disqualified. So he's warning this church. Paul is giving a very serious warning. These are not uh, popular sermons to preach in church, right? But Paul says, this is what's at stake. Paul's rattling this church. He says, wake up. It's not a game. What's at stake in running of the race is a share in the gospel. The opposite of sharing in the gospel is being disqualified. Is not sharing in the gospel. Jesus says it this way. Yes, you prophesied in my name. Yes, you cast out demons in my name. Yes, you did mighty, my, many mighty works in my name. But you left the racetrack. You weren't even on it. Um, you left the racetrack of faith and love and righteousness. You were disqualified. And Jesus says to those, depart from me for I never knew you. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. The scariest verse in the Bible. You took steroids. You faked it. You gave me lip service, but your heart was never mine. Um, You just played the part, you played the game. You jumped into the religious gerbil wheel, and you never knew me. Now, is that really what Paul means when he says disqualified? I think the best evidence that we have is in 2 Corinthians uh, he uses this word again, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul says this, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He's challenging believers. Examine yourselves, he says. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? So the opposite, so he's juxtaposing Jesus is in you, Right? unless you are disqualified. So being disqualified means that Jesus is not in you. It's the exact same word uh, in 1 Corinthians our verse 927. So the opposite of the word disqualified um, is that Jesus is in you, and you are qualified because of Christ. You're qualified because of Christ. So to be disqualified means that Christ is not in you in you. So this is what Paul is doing. This is important for us. Um, Paul says, I will not live my life as a sham. I will not just give him lip service. I will not, I refuse to play the game. He says, I'm in it. I will not pretend that Christ is in me if he's not in me. Paul says, I'm going to run the race. I'm going to fight. I'm going to be a living demonstration of all that he has done in me. It's going to pour out of my life because how could it not? The risen Lord Jesus, ruling and reigning, is living through me by the work of his Holy Spirit. I'm going to live my life in such a way that everyone will know the race that I'm on because God has called me to it. I'm gonna be a living example of the living Christ running and fighting. Now, hear this. This is important. Um, the verse I'm about to share is the, is the key to unlocking, I think, the question that is on many of your faces right now. A lot of the, in, this, in this question is this. Are you saying that I gotta earn my salvation? Like, do I have to run and, so that God would look down and say, oh, good job running, you're it. I know a lot of you are looking at me like, ah, what? Here's the key. This is it. Philippians 2, or Philippians 3.12. Listen to Paul. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Catch this. But, he says, I'm not perfect. I haven't already obtained it. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which I was also laid hold of. Did you catch that? But I press on. It's the same, like, I run in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We have to get that part right. I run, Paul says, to lay hold of my share of the gospel for which I was already mightily, irreversibly, powerfully laid hold of by Christ. Jesus grabbed me, saved me, redeemed me, rescued me, breathed life into my dead body and invigorated me and saved me and gave me gifts. And so now out of that, I can run and try to lay hold of the prize before me because Jesus has laid hold of me. You see that? That is so different than saying, I'm running because I have no idea if I'm gonna make it. That is so different than saying, i got to run really hard so that God will look down on me and say, good job running, come on in. No, it's God has, has done a miracle in me. God has laid, through Jesus, has laid hold of me, and so now I can run. I can run unashamed. I can run uh, fully how he's wired me and how he's made me. I don't have to say I'm running because I don't know if I'm justified and saved. I hope maybe one day by the end of the race, he might look down and the scales may tip. It's not that at all. That is not the nature of the race that's set before us. The race is, I will live and run and fight because there is a dwelling in me, a Christ who ran and fought and endured the cross for the joy set before him. And I will live this out because if I don't, it is proof that he's not in me. This is uh, the scary thing about this text is it, it is like this, this text is like a tidal wave that hits you And just, if your foundation isn't Christ, it just knocks sham Christians right off of it and just, it bulldozes them right off. So the first two statements um, of how the prize is conceived is found in 24 and 27. So what is the prize? Verse 24. Uh, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may seize it or you may grab it. He says run to win the prize. The word prize is only used one other time in the entire New Testament. And it's used in Philippians three fourteen, and Paul says, "I press on toward the goal of the prize." And he says what the prize is: of the upward call of God through Jesus Christ. The prize is heaven, and nothing less. Is heaven. So Paul's saying, "Do you run the race, because heaven is the prize." Do you fight and run and pummel your body and deny yourself of your flesh and crucify the flesh because heaven is at stake in your life? Or do you play games with God? Uh, do you give him lip service? Uh, do, you, do you cut the corner? Uh, do you just give him the margin or the leftover? Finally, verse 25. The fourth description of what's at stake in running is mentioned in verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. And they do it to receive a perishable wreath, a gold or fame or the applause of men, the praise of others. And he goes on and says, but we, an imperishable, The prize, church, is an imperishable wreath or crown. That word for crown or wreath uh, closely parallels the use of crown in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul mentions this race, the same race, and this fight, the same fight, where he says this, I have fought the good fight. He's at the end of his life. He's looking back. It's the completion of this verse. I finished the course, or the race, could be translated again. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, here's the hope, but to also all who have loved his appearing. Imperishable crown that Paul is telling us to strive for and run for and sacrifice for is the righteousness that will finally fit us in heaven. We don't have it yet, we run after it though. We still sin, but we repent and God forgives. We fight, we run in the pursuit of righteousness. Last week, we looked at this. We hunger and we thirst for it, for righteousness. And what does Jesus promise us when we hunger and thirst for righteousness? We'll be satisfied. We don't run in vain. It's not a gerbil wheel. It's a race with a finish, and it's a race that's worth it. And so, church, um, Paul is giving us sobering words This morning, he's saying, Your life is an awesomely serious thing. The call of God is an awesomely serious thing. And the stakes are eternally high. And so he's just, he's wanting you to examine your life. He's wanting me to examine my life. He's saying, What are you doing with your life? How are you running the race? Will you make a difference by standing on the promises of the gospel or will you just give him lip services and be disqualified and try to run your own race? Run the race set before you, that he set before you. It's the difference between obtaining and attaining the prize of the upward call of God in Christ or not, he's saying. It's the difference between receiving the unfading crown of righteousness or not. He's saying, may we run in a way that reflects the reality that Jesus has laid hold of us. That he has us, and he's set our course, and now we run it just like he said for the joy set before him. And we're even willing to endure all the things that will come our way. That's the race he's set us on church. Let's press on toward the prize. Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, God help us. these strong words, God, that Paul has given us as reminders that this life that we're leading is um, is serious, God. God, help us to run the race set before us. Help us to run in such a way to know what you've called us to, to run in a way that reflects the fact that you've laid hold of us in Christ Jesus. So now, God, we run to lay hold of you and the prize, and the prize is heaven. Though we don't have it yet, God, we know it is true. We know it is the way you've called us. We know it is uh, for your glory and for your namesake. And God, I pray that you would help us as your people run forgive us of the shortcuts we've made God may we repent forgive us of the missteps that we've made God help us to repent help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness we, we know you are a forgiving God and Lord and Lord if, if we are yours God you will produce conviction and a turning and you'll get us back on the track God, we long to stay on that track and we long to go to the very end and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Lord, we need you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, worship him.